Hello, and welcome to Blood, Sweat, and Careers, the podcast where we discuss multi-hyphenates, dig deep into hustle culture, and find solace in the fact that we aren't the only three trying to figure out our careers in our 30s. We're your hosts, Austin, Mallory, and Catherine. (laughs) Yay, we're here! We're all together! We're here! We're back again. This is our first recording sesh post-break. And as we assume the first episode that will come out post break, but if that changes, then I will edit this out. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we're back. We're back. Don't call it a comeback. <laughs> <laughs> We've been here the Thank whole you. time. Thank you. I feel seen. <laughs> we are we're back at the game of podcasting about multi hyphenates. I am Austin Mark, personal trainer and Animal Crossing addict. And I'm Mallory Kaufman, home librarian, but also, and ironically, a horrible speller. Um, and I'm Catherine. I'm a recovering dumpster diver. Have you guys heard of bed bugs? And also a deep winter <laughs> color palette. Accurate. <laughs> Put on a berry lip. Oh, dewy skin queen. <laughs> and then Catherine, tell us what a multi-hyphenate is. Yeah, I'm so glad you asked. So a multi-hyphenate, we're really trying to open up the conversation because a lot of people think of this term, or if you have heard of this term, you might think of the actor, dancer, DJ model, but we really wanted to redefine it where people are able to bring more confidence, community, and identity to their professional experience. And so many of us these days are doing more than one thing and also just pivoting in our careers to be able to have a little more passion, excitement, and creativity in our everyday lives. Because let's be honest, whatever we do at work, that is our lives. Preach. That's the one. (laughs) Thank you, Catherine. We feel seen. I feel seen. (laughs) I'm glad no one is seeing me and that this is a (laughs) audio medium. Yeah. Well, I'm just so happy to be back and laughing with you guys. And I am really excited as well to bring in a guest. We're Starting off with a a guest and a fellow Veilite, I guess I made that word up, but we'll stick with it. Yeah, Veil from Veil, Colorado. Don't you know the term? (laughs) Veilvillian. So Kelsey Sanders is who we'll be speaking with. Kelsey and I did grow up together. We played soccer together, which is really where I know her from. So I knew about her athletics, her athletic career, and was always in awe of her capabilities. But am, as I say later, really thrilled to be catching up with her and learning what she's been up to in the, I won't even say how many years since high school. And Kelsey herself currently is balancing time between a very interesting career in PT that focuses on dizziness And she speaks to how she got into that specialty and I believe was studying more generic PT initially, but found her way into the specialty and is at one of the only clinics in the state of Colorado, it sounds like. And the other side of the scale equation for Kelsey is this outdoor adventure love that I think, you know, if you live in Colorado in general, you can understand And yet she does it on a level that I think is both very admirable, but also has parlayed itself into an influencer space. So she is an outdoor adventure influencer and we get to talk to her about both of these worlds that she walks in. So I'm very excited. Yes. If you are listening now, you might as well pull up her Instagram, which is four paws period two feet because she's going to be talking all about her adventures with climbing mountains with her dog who is a pointer great Pyrenees mix and it's really cute so you're going to want to be looking along while you watch and hopefully not driving (laughs) (laughs) yeah please pull over over immediately (laughs) look up her Instagram and then continue to wherever you were before it'll be worth it and then go on drive with your knees We do not endorse the knees. (laughs) Well, shall we jump in to the convo? Let's listen. 
Well, thanks, Kelsey. I guess we'll jump in. Thank you for joining us. And I've been really excited to speak with you, not only because of the kind of gap in time of when I knew you well and what we we played soccer together throughout high school. And so at that time, I was pretty up to date on what you were up to, but haven't really kept up as much since then. So it's been really fun to hear what you're doing and I'm so excited to kind of talk about the two worlds you're walking in right now. One being physical therapy and the other being adventure, I guess, Instagram influencing. So. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot has changed. I feel like since, you know, we're an isolated little mountain town and (laughs) kind of have definitely grown in multiple ways since then. Well, I'm really excited to have you come on. And I think one of the fun questions to start with that just feels interesting because we get lots of different answers is your relationship to the term multi-hyphenate and whether you'd heard it before. Do you identify as one now or? Yeah. And you know, with that, I had not heard of it. I actually, (laughs) I did have to Google it. And then I remember Googling it and it's like a person with multiple skills. And I was like, Ooh, you know, what skills do I have? But (laughs) it, it kind of validates a lot of what I feel that I do on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. And it kind of gives a word to the effort and the time and the energy that I put into everything that I do. And I I kind of felt a little bit validated hearing that word, honestly. Yeah, you're definitely living in two very different spaces. Can you kind of tell us how you split your time currently? Yeah, so my home base is in Denver. So that is where I am living and working full time. Pre-pandemic, I was in clinic Monday through Friday, um, all day, eight to five with patients. Once the pandemic hit, we went to telehealth, which allowed me a lot more mountain time. Um, As we've kind of come forward in that, I am back in the clinic Monday through Thursday, and I do telehealth one day a week on Fridays. So how that's affected my lifestyle is now I'm essentially in Denver Monday through Thursday, and then we'll head up to the mountains Thursday and drive back usually about a Monday morning. And so it's, it's been interesting in the last like two weeks, there'll be more time in the mountains than in Denver. And, yeah. you know, yeah. it's busy when I'm in Denver, I'm nonstop <laughs> every day, wake up at five 30 to get my dog exercise before work, come home, get him exercise after work, do my notes, unpack laundry, repack <laughs> <laughs> gives a glimpse. That's a long day. And I feel like another thing that's worth almost just appreciating out loud is I think the distance you're covering when you're driving and stuff, just people not from the state of Colorado or even from the Western United States don't necessarily appreciate that just getting from Denver to the mountains is at least an hour, if not many more hours. Yeah. I would say on a good weather day, my commute's about three hours to 15, three and three, 15 minutes or so. I sometimes will stop. So luckily I have different home bases along the way. And I say (laughs) home bases, even though they're not like actually my home, but you know, luckily people live in the mountains and enjoy having us up there. Um, In the winters, it's a bit harder just because summers I can bring a tent, sleep in the car and go wherever we want. Don't have to necessarily travel as far, but definitely in the winters right now, I'm traveling about three, three and a half hours every Thursday and Monday. That's impressive. <laughs> and I feel like what would be interesting to you, like the reason why you're doing this, basically you're staying in Denver. It sounds like for your career, which would be fun for you to elaborate on. And then you're obviously utilizing the proximity to the mountains and there's a passion there, but it's also developed into this side business or side hustle is kind of what we call it um, with the influencing. Yeah, absolutely. So like my lifestyle is definitely in the mountains and I would prefer it to be in the mountains, you know, and that is my long-term goal one day, but my, you know, career is such an important piece and integral piece of what I do. And what, you know, I can elaborate on is too, is the specialty that I work with. Please. I'm a physical therapist. And typically when someone hears physical therapist, it's going to be the orthopedic sports physical therapist that, you know, you 
break a bone or, you know, tear your knee, anything like that, you're going to go to PT, you have back pain, all of that kind of stuff. And where I've kind of taken it more is the realm of what we call a neuro PT. So it's more along the neurological side of things rather than the orthopedic. And then a subdivision of that, that I specialize in is busyness. And so there is dizziness around everywhere. Everyone needs help with that. We are just a specialized clinic and there are very few specialized clinics that just work on dizziness. And so everyone that I work with, we have done additional training and learning and fellowships that have led us to where we are able to function as a specialist in this side of things. And so the hard part about wanting to leave that is that I'm not necessarily going to be able to specialize in the same amount of patient care in a rural area. Mm-hmm. Not saying that the rural areas don't need them. The rural areas definitely need that. It's just the accessibility and knowledge that is there and along with the interdisciplinary care. But that is a big part of why I'm torn is because that specialty is so important to me and I've worked so hard building that up. And change is hard. Yeah. <laughs> so I've held on to that piece and I've held on to the mountain piece and I'm young and I'm capable. And so I've made it work. I think it's, you know, gets to a point where you have to figure out how to sacrifice one or the other. And so far my work has not sacrificed and I've been still able to make it up to the mountains, but that does limit some of the opportunities that I do on the social media side of things so that I avoid some of that burnout. I was just listening to or watching, I think it was Maria Bamford's new show, which is about mental health care, but she was saying in a conversation with Rachel Bloom, I think that the farther you are out from like a major city center, the harder it is to get specialized care. And I'm sure that's like a double-edged sword for you and patients. I'm sure it's hard as a patient to find specialized care. And it's probably really hard as a professional finding clients in something as specific as like just a a dizziness doctor, as it were, (laughs) Um, you know, up in the mountains in the exact spot that you want to be. So that's got to be like a really tough pull on both sides. It is. And I think part of like that piece that I would really bring to the mountains would be that education. And I think that would be a huge growing point in my career. Like we've worked so hard on educating patients and other providers and doctors in the city area, as well as some rural areas, but not to the depths that I would need to do if I was to make it to the mountains. That is probably a huge limiting factor. But the need is there. Accessibility, not quite as much. Telehealth is now, you know, a great option, especially for what we do. We've been doing telehealth for years because people that are dizzy don't like to drive. So mm-hmm. it's something that we definitely can add to the mix there. And I'd be curious, so what, how do most people come and say like they're experiencing dizziness? Is it something that comes with age or like concussions or... All of the above. (laughs) Um, I mean, you can have dizziness for absolutely no reason at all. The most common onset of sudden vertigo is going to be what we call BPPV, which is benign paroxysmal positional vertigo. We've also had an uptick in viral cases causing vertigo where a virus attacks the actual inner ear. You know, backstory, your inner ear is your primary balancing organ and dysfunction of your inner ear is what leads to dizziness, stress is actually one of those factors that can lead to some dizziness as well. Who's got stress? Yes, lots of stress. (laughs) Um, You know, head injuries, that's a huge, huge one that we work with all the time. There's actually, you can concuss your inner ear Hmm. to an extent as well. And so head injuries are huge. Any neurological disorders, typically, if they're not having dizziness, have pretty poor balance. So we work a lot with like multiple sclerosis, strokes, Parkinson's disease, any of those disorders as well. Although those are very neuro-based, not specifically dizzy-based. So I'd say the caseload for that is a little lower, whereas our unknown, unresolved dizziness is higher. I think that's so fascinating that you have basically chosen that as your specialty. I mean, was that something that you dove into in school and knew you wanted to do, or did you wander into this specialty? 
So I um, got exposed to it in my last clinical rotation in school. And I had a clinical instructor who was technically what I am now a vestibular specialist. And there was a while back this very hard to go protocol of how you treat dizziness. Mm -hmm. And as a student, I'm like, great, this is awesome. Tells me exactly what to do with every dizzy patient. As a student, I realized that does not work for anyone. And uh, it led me down this pathway of like, why is it working for some patients and why is it not working for other patients? And how can I treat the patients that it's not working? Which led me then after I graduate to do further education to figure that out. That's amazing. (laughs) It feels like maybe also kind of a answer to the question of like why it feels holding on to that is so important and so integral, as you said, to your career and your journey. Absolutely. I mean, it's something that I have really dove into and worked really hard to grow with and and learn about. I was just having this conversation with my coworker of like, our patient population is hard. A lot of them are very multifaceted, a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, a lot of dysfunction. And, you know, you have to be pretty resilient on that end of things to not take on all those feelings yourself. Um, and it's, it's hard to kind of explain, you know, it's, when you recover someone's knee and they're be able to get back to their sports, that's great. Whereas I'm celebrating someone's able to get out of bed and go to work. Mm-hmm. It, the victories are the same in each end. It's just a different realm of, of that. Yeah, I never thought of, I guess dizziness is similar to any of the other like kind of unseen ailments where it's so much harder with something like a chronic pain disorder or dizziness where like, No one else can see that you're experiencing that. So there's probably like a kind of a factor of feeling like a little bit nuts and (laughs) and obviously disoriented. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, you're spot on. I mean, it's like the invisible disease. Like you look fine and you feel terrible. And so, you know, the more people are educated on it, honestly, the better that they feel just in that moment, knowing that they are not crazy. And that is a big piece of it. I mean, you also get like, you know, I'm working with these people that can't get out of bed, but then I'm also working with these super high level athletes that I'm trying to get them back to professional level grade to be able to do extremely sensory conflicting tasks. You know, I get the, at a four-year-old who had a concussion to a 13-year-old who had a concussion to a 91-year-old that's falling. And it just is very, very diverse. And I love every piece of that. Well, and something else that struck me, I think that's interesting and maybe parlays well into the conversation about adventuring is this idea of also not absorbing the hardships of your patients or maintaining your own kind of distance from the work. And without answering my own question, I guess I was just curious if maybe that's also a reason and why you lean into this other side of who you are, which is you know, someone who's outside constantly doing amazing adventures and able to actually kind of, without being crass, I guess, cash in on it a little bit and use it as an influential space. And I don't know if you can talk to those two pieces, those two ends. You know, that's, (laughs) you're spot on with it. You know, even if I didn't make that initial connection of that, but to be able to not get burnt out on what I do, I need that outlet. And like in a perfect world, if I could split it 50-50 and do adventuring half the time and PT half the time, I think that would be great. Um, you know, I wish I could say I, put, I was at a place financially where all of this cashed in, <laughs> but PT is not necessarily a money-making model and the adventure side of things, because I, I don't have the energy and time to do that full-time has not necessarily led to any financial gains in terms of stability, but it's allowed me to do what I love to do and to get, you know, credit for that in a certain way. I hope to inspire a lot of my patients in a certain way in the PT realm, just as I love to inspire certain people in the Instagram realm. I get questions daily about different places to hike, different, you know, tips and tricks and dog friendly stuff and all this stuff. And, you know, in a way it feels like I'm helping that community as much as I'm helping my patients. And so that has been an interesting connection that 
I may or may not have recognized initially, but I think in, in the same sense that you just took it, which I never really thought about this, is I've had to learn to be resilient and not take on everything from my patients. And the Instagram realm is a tough, mm. tough area to be. There are a lot of critics and there is a lot of judgment and there's a lot of pressure. And at the same time that I've had to guard myself professionally in the PT world, I feel like I've had to learn to do that in the social media world as well. So that that is an interesting dynamic I haven't quite put together, but you it, it gets a, you can get burnt out on both ends. I feel like with so many of us spending so much time in this virtual world, whether it's on Zoom or it's on social media, since we can't all see each other in the way that we'd like to, or be in the open spaces necessarily that we'd like to. Have you been able to like set up some sort of boundaries for yourself? Ways that you are able to balance that, what feel might feel like work and also feel like enjoyment? I think that's a continual process for me. I definitely take on a lot. And anyone around me is like, you never stop. You never sit. You never breathe. You don't have a break. And I do think I need to find a better balance about that. I've also just been able to do it. And I, I have used, utilized that to my benefit. But I think it comes to a point, if I ever feel like I'm going to the mountains to just work, that is never my goal. I always want to be going to the mountains because I want to go there. And then if I get the opportunity to take a shot and produce content for companies in that moment, then that's how I like to do it. I typically only work with brands of things that I actually use. I am a terrible liar. Even if I could accomplish somehow doing it on social media, I would feel like a fool because all my friends and family that still do, you know, look up to me would know. And that is very inauthentic to me. So anything that I promote on there, I actively either use or try or have tried and can tell you whether or not I liked it. You know, Solomon is one of my main sponsors and... I will use their gear in and out. And I could tell you my favorite hiking boot, my favorite backpacking boot, the shoes of theirs that I don't like and I don't think are good quality. And, you know, being able to authentically provide that information is important to me. And I don't want to feel like, oh, I'm just going to go take a shoot. I will say there have been times where I plan a trip with the idea that it will look really good in content. And I've also learned that it doesn't ever work out that great. And so I have had to be more flexible. And honestly, I was, I've done a lot more looking into like my own personality. And like, I have always been a planner, over-prepared, every scenario possible. And doing more of this content creation type of work has made me learn that flexibility is huge and expectations cannot always be there because I've learned my highest expectations never get met. My lower expectations always get blown away. And so just enjoying the moment and seeing what happens has been the best part of it. Authenticity. I think that's the key. I had, um, I met up with a, someone on Instagram one day. It was back. I didn't have as many followers, but I met up with her and she was like, you know, I didn't know like what you were actually going to look like and how you were actually going to act. But you're totally like who I thought you were. And I was just so taken back. I was like, well, what do you mean? I'm so confused. And who would I be? She's like, well, my... <laughs> so she's like, my husband wanted me to make sure you were an actual real person. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to not take offense to that, but I'm, I'm here. I'm a real person. And she's like, well, I didn't even know if you'd actually want to hike. We did like this like 10 mile hike and it was actually pretty hard. And and she was like, I was worried you weren't even actually going to like be able to hike. You know, a lot of people just go to the mountains, take a picture and then say they hike. And I was like, oh, that is not what I want my followers to think. Like if people are going to see me, I want them to know that I'm working my butt off to do this. And, and that kind of was my first insight into the naiveness that I had on Instagram, which part of me still wishes I had a little bit of, because I hate the fact that I look at a picture or look at someone's content now and I'm like, is that authentic? Or, you know, like, did they just go up there, take a picture and then leave and said they were there all weekend? Like, I just, it, I hate that I have a little bit more skepticism now, but I think that's the reality of the situation going forward. I've done some work doing hair and makeup on models who have like food <laughs> influencer Instagrams or food <laughs> blogs where they're like, 
they're super petite, sexy girls holding like giant pizza slices and sloppy hamburgers. Mm-hmm. And I <laughs> and they don't eat them. The photo gets mm-hmm. taken and that food gets fully trashed unless there's some hungry hair and makeup person <laughs> uh, willing to clean up after them. But it is a wildly inauthentic or possibly inauthentic world of there are plenty of influencers out there who are hawking products that they have no interest in and no knowledge of. And so it's refreshing to know that there are also people who are influencing the things that they are passionate about. Yeah. And I think I've just started to, you know, surround my, my social media with those people too. I've, I've, you know, find home through, you know, people that are actually there and want to see my content. You know, I remember when I first started and when I first started growing, I was like every like, every comment, like that defines how happy I am. And I had to take a step back and be like, whoa, this is not how I want to live my life. And I don't want to know my worth based on the number of likes that I have and the number of comments and I would say now I'm in a great place with that. And that took a lot of learning because there are pictures that are my favorite pictures and they will always be my favorite pictures. And they probably have the least amount of likes on my Instagram page. And I can't explain that, but I've had to learn like that doesn't change that it's still my favorite picture. And it might be my favorite picture because of the moment that it was taken and not in the presentation of how people perceive it. And so that's been a big value base that I have had to maintain because if I put my worth into other people's hands, then it's going to get crushed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I use Instagram as a way to share and inspire as well as learn and be inspired. And it, it's a place where you have to accept criticism, but also ignore the really mean people. People will say very mean things on there about how, I take my dog on adventures and what I put my dog at risk of, um, you know, because my Instagram is based on my and my dog's adventures, there's a lot of criticism in that. And there's pressure in, you know, being authentic about it. Everyone's like, oh, he's such a good boy. Well, he is great, but he's not perfect. You put a rabbit out there and he's going to be gone for a while. I might get a great picture of him running back and I might post that great picture, but I'll be sure to tell you he ran away for a solid 10 minutes before I got that picture. Hey, that isn't going to, you know, put me up for criticism, right? You shouldn't have your dog off leash if he runs after an animal. You know what kind of owner does that? And so then I just like try to find this balance, even in the Instagram world of what can I share to still be authentic without literally taking down my wall and being demolished? Yeah. I think that's really powerful and honestly something that I've not thought so deeply about except for the fact that like all my social media is still private for the sheer fact that I'm like I'm not really interested in having miscellaneous people involved in my posts or my life yet admiring especially through this project and the podcast the ability to to be authentic and be out there and be engaging with people you don't know and don't fully know their backstory and want to be, you know, I love the way that you've described what you're doing as just you're trying to inspire and ignite in people something that you yourself are also doing and seeking and authenticity is huge. Is there a particular like story or reason how you kind of ended up as an influencer? Like it sounds like it happened very organically and grew naturally, but Was there a moment where you were kind of like, oh, my goodness, (laughs) this is happening? I don't know because it was slow growing. And I actually appreciate the fact that it was slow growing because it felt more authentic and it also gave me time to process. I I have talked to influencers who went from like 100 to, you know, 20,000 overnight. And that I think is a lot harder than the way mine grew. Back before there were all these, you know, fancy algorithms and, you know, engagement protocols essentially that people have to follow. There's just this art of sharing cool pictures and people were sharing Oliver's and I's adventures. And I think it just kept getting seen in that sense and kept getting more spread in that sense with um, different companies and different outlooks and all of that. And I think that's how it initially grew. And I know there are people out there that spend so much time and energy really trying to grow their Instagram and 
I will say I maybe grow by a couple hundred every few months, but not even. And I, I think I have been so busy at work that it actually makes it a lot harder to put that energy in to build and post. And so, you know, typically it, it goes, the more you put in, the more you get out. So the more I put in, the more followers I'm going to get. And there have been periods of time where I've been able to do more of that and get more of that and periods of time where I'm not able to. And that is part of that balance of not putting that pressure on myself to gain more followers as a, a value of worth in my content. And so right now I just do kind of whatever I want to do. And if companies reach out and I want to work with them, I'll work with them. But I don't actually reach out. You know, I, I've stopped putting hashtags on my photos, although I know that helps them get seen. So I think that's part of that. I'm not putting in as much as I could put out, but I think everyone can speak to burnout and I don't want to lose my initial reason that I adventure, my initial reason that I share. And I don't want to feel like I'm doing it for any other reason besides for me and for people that actually enjoy it. And so I don't think there was one moment where I was like, oh my gosh, I have an influencer. But it's pretty funny when like people have no idea because I don't sit there and tell anyone. <laughs> like, I'm not going to, if you ask me, I'm like, yeah, I'm a physical therapist and I love to go outside with my dog. You know, my boyfriend's a photographer and he captures incredible moments and that does get shared, but I'm not sitting there going like, this is my Instagram. At one point I took my full name off my Instagram. So you can't even actually search me. And I've tried putting it back on, then I took it off again. And I, I just don't want to be that searchable um, for the purpose of just my own well-being. Like if you already know I'm a physical therapist, then you're going to be able to find me pretty easily in that sense. But mm. I haven't had any issues along the line, but I think there's realms that you can put in more to grow it more. I just haven't at this point in time. But I appreciate all the work that people do put into that. I guess I really liked that answer. And in terms of, I like the idea of not having like an aha moment, you know, like a lot, that's something that just kind of gradually grew into itself. And I think a lot of people looking from the outside in would expect, you know, like, oh, there's this moment of like, I'm going to grad school or I got the promotion or I'm an Instagram influencer. And the reality, I like the way you've described it is often not so clear and, and usually a little bit of a hindsight's 2020 moment. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. I see what's happening here. My question though, is one that I had from when we initially talked, which is, have you, on either side had to have like a bigger sacrifice or make a sacrifice that you're willing to talk about, whether it's in your career to go on an adventure and have an, maybe a, an influential moment or not. It sounds like you've kind of alluded to some of the not doing some influencer stuff for your career, but does it ever feel like a sacrifice, I guess, or is there one that feels interesting to talk about? That's a good question. And, um, you know, off the top of my head, no, because honestly, I've made it a priority to never let my job be impacted by my outside adventuring, you know, and, and my boss has spoken to that, that, you know, I come every Monday morning and I am ready to go and able to treat my patients to the utmost. And I don't know if that's just because I made a promise to myself to not let my career be sacrificed by my passion and not let my passion be dimmed by the industry. And so I, I don't know. I have PTO just as everyone else. So I, I do feel like I <laughs> sacrifice my PTO to be able to sometimes get content as compared to being able to go on a trip, you know, like I want to be able to do different things. So in a perfect world, I'd use my PTO to go on like a week long trip, but Instead, I have to use my PTO to do a prolonged weekend to be able to get content for potentially a company. And, you know, there's a little bit of balance. I don't know if I would call it a sacrifice because I've been able to make it work. But more than anything, I feel like I'm sacrificing my like energy. I know that's not a specific answer in what you have asked, but Sometimes I feel like I give my all to everything and then have to work my way back. And so it's more of I'm sacrificing my own time, which we all know is very valuable. Gosh, especially multi-hyphenate. 
And it all has a great outcome and it's all very rewarding, both ends. But I don't necessarily feel like I'm like sacrificing one or the other. It's just how much I'm willing to give of myself to achieve it. I'd I'd love to hear, because I feel like there's a lot of talk, but influencer is such a hot term these days. And you hear about the like Kardashians getting these six figure numbers and or you hear about the exactly the people who are forcing this kind of narrative and jet setting to different places. And there is something that naturally lends itself to these beautiful shots when you're in the mountains and you're with, a, especially with the pet friendly photos, like people just naturally want to know what's going on and where to go. And I think some people are a little confused. Like you always, at least I was before I moved to Denver area or Aspen area that like, Denver isn't in the mountains. And so you have to kind of make an effort to go to these beautiful places. You know, you still get the proximity, but. Yes. Uh, you make a really good point in that. So like, I struggle a lot because I like to get away from people. I like to find places that maybe haven't been seen as much or photo- photographed as much. I don't like to go on a hike with a million other hikers and dogs. So oftentimes we are hiking very long miles over very rugged terrain. Um, we're backpacking in. We're doing things off the grid. We're downloading our own maps. Like we will spend hours on Google Maps and find different areas where I'm like, this lake looks awesome. There's not necessarily a trail. How do we get here? And and then when I get on and I show an awesome photo, people are like, well, where is that? I'm like, do you know how much work I just put into finding this place and to getting to this place? And you just want me to tell you. And then there's this like other side of things where it's like, well, okay, you're so privileged and special that now you don't get to share anything that you do. And so it's definitely um, a learning experience on my end is I guess I am privileged to the degree that I have the ability to go on a weekend adventure and I have the money to afford gas and gear and food to go on this adventure and a computer that allows me Google Maps and resources to go on there. And I don't want to take that away from anyone else. I think I just sometimes want it to be appreciated how much work goes into getting that shot as an influencer. And I know that's not always the case for every influencer, but it's an important thing to distinguish if someone's coming to Colorado for a weekend and they're staying in Denver and want to go explore. Like I've had people send me my photos and be like, I want to go here. And it's hard to find the right words to be like, I don't necessarily know you, but to go here, Mm -hmm. it's not easy. I can give you other options uh, along those lines. Sometimes I feel like in the influencer world, people think because I got there and I got the shot that it's easy because my hair is down (laughs) and maybe not messed up yet. It's easy. Sometimes my hair is curled. I sweat like crazy and my hair is naturally wavy. Sometimes that looks really nice in pictures and sometimes it doesn't. But I think there's a lot that people see of what they want to see without really understanding what goes into it. I think that touches on a really important point of how easy everything looks on Instagram. And I think that that plays in a lot of different ways, like the way that beauty influencers look in their photos appears very effortless and is also heavily edited in addition to all of the work that goes into hair and makeup. So I've spent the past eight years of my career or however long social media has been super prevalent explaining to clients like, no, you can't look like this because no one looks like this in person. And also if you wanted all of the steps that went into looking like Kim Kardashian, it's a two and a half hour makeup process with 75 steps, literally. Some minimum. surgery, probably. <laughs> a, lot, wow. a lot of surgery. And a great doctor. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But it's definitely, I think it comes, it shows up in so many ways with the way that people look or the way that people, uh, the way that these photographs appear, make it seem like. And really what people are looking for is just to have the same photo that you have, but with them in it. I imagine the majority of people asking for hike locations because you look so great on the edge of a cliff are not people (laughs) interested in or maybe even capable of a 15 mile in hike to get that perfect shot. I agree with that. And like, it's one of those things where 
it's also like the leave no trace principles. Like the more people are on these trails, the more the places I love are just getting destroyed. Um, even I think of five years ago when I first moved to Denver, there were a bunch of trails that were very not well known. And now I go there and cars are just lined up and that's mm-hmm. just within five years. Mm-hmm. And honestly, that's pushed me to be, you know, more diving on the end of finding these less known areas and these more remote areas. And honestly, the drawback to having a lot of followers is that those areas want to become discovered. And I don't always want that for the reason, not my personal reason. It's not like so that I am keeping this space mine, but so that it's respected. Anyone that takes the time to message me individually, I am actually very, very happy to provide them with the input and with the feedback and with you know, the information. Um, I tend to say like, this is the location. This is the area. This is how I discovered this trail with the hopes that they have the resources to potentially do a little bit of work and find it on their own too. I think that's so important. And maybe something that I like the way you phrased it, Austin, too, that I was sort of taking for granted having grown up with you, Kelsey, in the mountains, that the proximity to beauty and nature is there. And so there's kind of an inherent understanding and respect for it that I think people um, can easily learn and gain, but don't come, doesn't necessarily come naturally if you're not from the area or the space. And I'm even thinking like me going into a desert setting or something. I grew, I lived in California for a while and, you know, Joshua tree is such a different environment than like the Rocky mountains. And so my knowledge and my capabilities in a space like that are much different than when I'm on the top of a mountain peak or something. But I like the tension you're getting at, which is this idea of inspiring and getting people excited and wanting to introduce nature to people maybe or introduce adventure to people a love of even dogs to people but while at the same time holding tight this idea that if you want to participate in this you have to respect it you have to understand it you have to to your point maybe do a little of the extra work to enjoy it and I mean, Austin's same with the makeup. I love that example just because I think it's maybe even more egalitarian in its example because so many people come to makeup and think, oh, easy, and then find out not so. And I I think that's an important tension to keep kind of like picking at just because it does feel like, especially in this era of scrolling and scrolling on Instagram, that we're even more envious than we should be at times or more desirous and we don't actually consider the full picture the work that went in even the mental health of the person behind the lens like you were talking about like some of this is you're doing this because you want the escape it's not because you want to put you know five-hour energy in a little cool pose (laughs) and you know like companies that let me be authentically me with their gear like I value that so much because it doesn't feel like they're trying to dictate me and they're supporting what I do in the way that I do it. And I think that like, if people are looking at making these relationships as one, like don't undervalue what you have to offer. Um, I think when I first started any company that wanted to send me anything and I would push on like my story, I, I, I really limit my um, in-feed posts to companies that actually do pay me money as well as companies that let me do it authentically in the way that I want to do it. If companies want to send me product and it's a product that I will use, I typically say I will do it in my stories. Um, As I've grown, I've learned that I was doing so much free advertising for just product. And what I've learned is companies can send product for nothing. And that just was part of me growing and understanding my worth. And I mean, that goes in so many realms. Like I had to do the same in PT. I had to learn what my value was and what my role was and what I had to offer. And when I understand that and can use that, I can explain so much better what I can provide my patients with and what I can give to these companies. And if anyone is trying to get started in any realm, whether it be physical therapy or social media is never undervalue what you have to offer, always overvalue. 
And the companies that don't want to step up to that, then you don't need to take your time to work with them. And I've had to learn that by giving my time and energy to a lot of companies that did not value me at first. That's such a good point. I feel like, and Mallory, you can definitely speak to this. Her and I have both worked in PR and I've worked in specifically in outdoor lifestyle PR, which is, it's tricky because of course you want to be able to support, if, if people can tell when it's forced, people can tell when you're with the special tea that you don't actually drink or whatever the things are. And I think there is a lot of talk as well about who gets access to these spaces because there is that tension of how do you preserve spaces? And like, I also know from living in the mountains that some people who grew up there can be some of the worst offenders when it comes to treating the outdoors with respect and packing in and packing out. Well, and I guess there's not really a firm answer for that because there's just like, it's case by case of like, where can you can go? Like there's people who come from the front range um, Denver area and who aren't prepared for, like you said, these 15 mile, 10 mile, like what it takes, not, not mentally maybe, but though that's, again, Mallory can speak the first 14er. Mm-hmm. I was not mentally prepared for what that <laughs> took. Like that <laughs> crushed me and None physically maybe I was okay, but mentally I was not. You're spot on. I mean, being in Colorado and, and being in a place where people are trying to conquer in the 14ers, like that leads people to seeing the uh, goal more than the journey. And I have a bunch of friends that I will hide with that are all about the goal. And I have found that for me to enjoy what I'm doing, I'm more about the journey. I don't sprint up the mountains. I do take the time to take multiple pictures of my dog, Oliver. Um, I will sit and enjoy the sunrise for a long time without trying to get to the summit before sunrise. And you know, there, there are different goals of people in the mountains. And I think that changes how they perceive the mountains and that, and everyone is out there trying to conquer something within themselves in these moments. And that's what's important. But I do think when people have a goal in mind and don't quite understand the steps that it takes to get to that goal, whether that is a professional setting or in the outdoors that's where mistakes are usually made. And, uh, you know, ed- education can happen in so many realms. Like, like <laughs> you talked about Mallory, if you take me into the desert and have me try to do something there, you know, like one of the things we've talked about doing is more like repelling into these slot canyons. And I would love to be able to do that with Oliver one day, but the amount of learning that that's going to take is quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And I want to know more information on that and go through that process. Um, just as I'm willing to give it to people that want it in another realm, but knowing that the physical capabilities is one thing, the mental is another, the preparedness is another, and the knowledge base of the train is another. I think you've offered so much in this conversation. And I truly, I think I learned things just listening to you. So thank you for that. But if there's, um, you know, we'll link to your Instagram if you'd like, as well as any other uh pieces of information you want to share? Yeah. I mean, Instagram. So my handle is four paws period two feet. So that kind of can set me and my dog. Um, so that's where I, my, where I work in Denver is South Valley physical therapy. So, you know, we're the, called the dizziness and balance experts. So it, that's where I work in Denver, but um, even like a more specific general, there's a vestibular website that could direct people to information on dizziness as well if they're listening and and have any sort of relation to dizziness or sensory processing dysfunction that has developed even after a concussion they had 10 years ago. That would be fantastic. I think there's a lot of um, different areas. Dizziness is one of those that people don't even realize there's something to do about it until they heard about it. And so, you know, that's, giving anyone a resource in that sense is, is money. <laughs> so I, I'm definitely one of those people. When you mentioned what your specialty was, I was enthralled because I had no idea <laughs> that that was part of a PT world. And also really grateful though. Cause like you mentioned, Austin, it's just one of those ailments that would feel so lonely and scary and stressful. And to know that there's people out there studying it and helping to write it is so cool you know in terms of 
resources I can list more, but my Instagram, even like I get DMs of people asking about vestibular and dizziness resources on there often. Um, so I'm more than happy to answer people that reach out via DMs on Instagram too, whether it be outdoor related or dizziness related. I'm all about like just spreading that education, awareness and learning. Amazing. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Kelsey. Yeah. Thank you so yeah, much. Great. Of course. We are. It was very fun. Take care. Bye. Bye. Yay. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Kelsey. Thank you, Mallory, for bringing Kelsey to our attention. She's fascinating. I think it's a really cool juxtaposition that she's kind of stuck in where I think a lot of us have ideas about influencers and how they fill their time. And she's like at the opposite end of that for me I think that the idea of influencers for me is people sometimes who are not fully rounded and multi-passionate and but she's all of those things I think she allowed us to also touch on a really important conversation about who gets to feel a part of the outdoors and who belongs and I think that's been a a larger conversation that doesn't necessarily have to do specifically with what Kelsey's doing, but what a lot of people are looking at of how do we conserve these wild spaces and also make sure there's diversity and equity and inclusion while we are still trying to make sure that people care that wild places get to stay wild. And it's really hard to make other people care if you don't get access to the outdoors, if you don't know where to go, if you don't know how to get there and you don't have the tools. Um, you know, people didn't know that they shouldn't litter in, in cities. So if you go out to the outdoors, you know, we had to do big campaigns to be like, Hey, pick up your trash. And like, I think there needs to be more awareness while we're all stuck, whether out of need or, otherwise in our own backyards and where we're able to go. So I just wanted to like point out a couple and we'll put them in the show notes of a couple places that are really trying to make sure that the outdoors feel like a place that everyone gets to go to. Yeah. And make sure that it's sustained for everybody to enjoy. Yeah. I like the point that you're getting at. And I think one that I can less eloquently point out was just something that occurred to me as you were talking about this idea too, of what is nature and wild and wilderness and adventure and kind of maybe Kelsey is a great example as well as somebody who's balancing kind of two worlds. And she's definitely on the Instagram demonstrating beautiful hikes and locations that are rural and or rugged and hard to get to. But I think there's also, she spoke to like appreciating the small things as like her advice. And I love that because I do think this bigger connection that we can draw each and every day between nature and ourselves and the mother earth, if you will, is so important. And it shouldn't be limited to people who, you know, I, I speak from privilege and I know this cause I can walk out into the mountains, but it shouldn't be limited to those people. We should be able to walk out and see the sunset if we want to, or enjoy the grass in a park in a big city, hopefully, or a tree on your street or a bug, I mean, <laughs> gross, but still, you know, on your picnic table. Um, and I just, I like what you're getting at too, about the equity, the diversity of spaces that are maybe a little bit harder to get to. And, and Kelsey speaking to that, there's, you know, pride to be taken in getting to these amazing, beautiful places and respect should be kept, but also knowing that, you know, go on a wild adventure down your city block and if you have a dog, walk it or I don't know, <laughs> pretend you have a dog. Yeah. Um, Thank you all for joining us. It's been really great. Yeah, you can find us on the internet. You can find us on Spotify, listen to us on Apple Podcasts, but please check us out on social media. We're on Instagram at Blood Sweat Careers, and you can reach us out to us by email um, at Blood Sweat Careers Pod at gmail.com. Send us all your adoration. You can delete the hate mail. And definitely check us out <laughs> when we check us out for next week. We'll all be back again. Yeah. Check us out. Yeah. We look good. See you next week. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.